Welcome back to the Walk Run Podcast, everybody. It's been a while since I've been able to put out any content, but that's because I've been blessed to be really busy over the summer working with a bunch of camps and all this different stuff that's going on. Uh, but this week, I had the opportunity to bring you an excellent interview with Brother Ryan Crosley. He covers a bunch of ministries, and he does a bunch of different work, but we really narrowed it in on the Hispanic community and what he does there. Without further ado, I hope you sit back, relax, and enjoy this interview with Brother Ryan Crosley. Alrighty, welcome back, everyone that listens to the Walk Run Podcast with me. This uh, week, or this episode, we're having a great guest with Brother uh, Crosley. It's been a while since I've done an interview, uh, any type of content, and I'm super excited to have Brother Crosley on. Uh, Brother Crosley uh, left an impression on me when he was at uh, my church for a conference uh, here in uh, Bellevue, Florida, and I had to have him on and talk about his experiences and all the great stuff that he's worked on and all the different ministries. The more and more I delved in and and learned about him, the more and more I learned that he you know does and all the incredible ministries that he's working on. So uh, you can, Brother Crosley, you can introduce us uh, to yourself more than I or better than I can. So. Uh, Briefly, uh, kind of tell us uh, who you are and what you do. Well, first of all, Harrison, uh, it is wonderful to be on your Walk Run podcast. Um, it's exciting. We are a church that also is very involved, um, primarily in radio ministry, as far as these kind of things are concerned. So I love being a part of this kind of thing because we're doing a lot of it ourselves. Um, as far as myself goes, I grew up as a missionary kid in Argentina, South America. I was about eight months old when my mom and dad traveled down there. They had been down there before on uh, a program called Overseas Ministries. And then they had come back to the States to get fully appointed. And that's where I was born at that time. And I grew up in Argentina for right at about 18 years. I was a couple months shy of turning 18 when I came back to the States and went to Bible school for four years in Indianapolis. It was a good transition for me from overseas to the United States, kind of a, in a way, a protected bubble, protected culture per se. And so I was there for about four years. And after four years, God opened the door, uh, came down here to South Florida to help Pastor Mark Hattabaugh at the Pentecostals of Cooper City. And one of the things that I did while I was with him was I was just 21 years old and he wanted to start a Spanish ministry. And so about a month after graduating from Bible school, I started a Spanish daughter church for Pastor Hattabaugh and did that with him for about four years. Now, in the fourth year, that's when I met Amy, my wife, who is from Souls Harbor, from your home church. And... Mm -hmm. uh, so my connection with your home church has been strong ever since I got to Florida. That was the first friends that I made was Pastor Jason, Pastor Joe Campatella, uh, Brother Rick, who is my brother-in-law now. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, in my fourth year with Pastor Hattabaugh, that's when I met my wife. And after about a year of being married, we just transitioned to the evangelistic field and evangelized for about three years. Um, but I always, I always had a burden for South Florida, especially the Hispanic community. And so in our third year of evangelizing, we, uh, applied to be part of a program called Metro Missions because we wanted to start a Spanish church in the metropolitan area of Fort Lauderdale. And so they approved us. We traveled for about a year. And then in December of 2004, we came down to uh, South Florida, and then on March 2005, March 6, 2005, we started Iglesia La Roca de Hollywood, or the Rock Church of Hollywood. Been doing that for 17 years uh, and counting. So that's a real quick overview of, of my history. But so now I function as the pastor here in, in Hollywood and We've got several daughter churches and a lot of other things going on. That's incredible how you how you know things have 
you know, worked out and they, they lined up. Uh, one thing I did want to point back to is when you said you started uh, evangelizing a little bit uh, after you had first gotten married, were you doing stuff mostly in Florida across the U.S. or uh, out of out of country? Uh, maybe. Um, well, when I evangelized, that was a huge step of faith. Mm-hmm. Um, we knew it was time to transition. When I went to evangelize, I remember Pastor Hadabaugh asking me, do you want to just base out of here for a little bit, see how it goes? And I told him, I said, no, if we're going to do this, I'm, I'm, I'm full in. And I think I maybe had a week and a half of revival scheduled. That was it. And mm-hmm. so I evangelized um, mostly in the United States, but also internationally. I've always been very connected to South America, a little bit Central America. And lately, kind of a strange thing that's happened is this didn't happen during my time of evangelizing, but it's happened um, in the last few years. The Spanish community is all throughout the world and it's having revival all throughout the world. So even doors in Europe have opened up in places that you wouldn't think, like uh, France, for example. But when we evangelized, it was primarily here in the United States. It was a good experience. I, I loved it. It was, um, I believe this, I kind of believe every pastor should evangelize for a little bit and every evangelist should pastor for a little bit. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. That way they can understand and respect each other's ministry. Um, I, I'm a pastor at heart. It's what God called me to be. But evangelizing those years that I did um, helped me when an evangelist comes into town to preach at our church, helps me to understand what they're facing, you know? So pretty much, uh, you said, uh, it's, you know, you, 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 that experience of evangelizing if you're a pastor or pastoring, if you're an evangelist, um, is important. I'd like to delve deeper into that. And so what did you learn evangelizing that is impacted or greatly assisted in what you're doing now? I think probably evangelizing for me wasn't, that hard of a thing to adjust to mm. because uh, because when we were missionaries, missionaries travel uh, on furlough, you know, once every four years. So missionaries, you're in four to five different churches in a week sometimes. Um, so the transition to evangelizing for me wasn't difficult. Um, what I learned, one of the things that, that I think is is one of the toughest things about evangelizing is really honing in on what that church needs. Um, I was, and and that probably comes from me pastoring. For example, when I invite an evangelist in to preach, I don't want him to sermonize. I know because I evangelized, I know that he's got a bunch of messages that he's preached before and that he doesn't particularly have to bring something new that he's never preached before, but he does need to pray and ask God to give him something, even if it's something he's preached before, something that's for what our church needs now. So I say that because I travel a lot. Most of the time when I travel, I'm preaching something that I have preached before. It's kind of like uh, David, right? Uh, King David when he asked for a sword and the priest told him the only sword we have here is Goliath's sword. Um, and David said, that's a good one. You know, I, uh, that one's been proven in battle. So sometimes when you go preach somewhere, you use a sword that's been proven in battle. Uh, you use a message that, you know, God has given you and it's, and it's a great message to preach, but it has to be for that congregation in the moment. So to me, evangelizing, the hardest thing about evangelizing for me was trying to hone in on where is this church at and what does it need? Um, personally, I believe that in in the old, old days, evangelists would do three to four week revivals sometimes in the same church, mm-hmm. which was great because it gave the evangelist a chance to really work with that congregation, find out where they're at, preach to them specifically. But now you might be in a place preaching a conference and you're preaching one message or you're there for one Sunday. And it's really, 
I think the spiritual sensitivity that you need right now as an evangelist, I, I really, I pray for them when they come to our church because normally we do the same thing. We do a weekend revival. Well, they've got to come in and they've got to be sensitive to where we're at. They have to be prayed up. So to me, as far as evangelizing, that was the most difficult thing for me. It was like, God, I, because I knew I could just preach a message. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've preached a lot of messages, but I wasn't interested in that. I was interested in God, what does this church need? And the reason for that is because as a pastor, when I'm bringing an evangelist in, it's normally because we need something. The church is at a point where it needs something. It needs, uh, you know, either revival or healing or, uh, I mean, who knows all the different things that you need. So evangelizing for me, that was that was the the key, trying to find out where that church is and really bless that church. My My goal was to leave the church better than when I walked in. You know, yeah. that was my goal as an evangelist. Um, I loved it. I, I, I'm a people person. I love talking. I love finding out about folks. So as far as that aspect of evangelizing, I enjoyed it very, very much. What was difficult for me was being a pastor at heart. I would be somewhere for a revival. And let's say I'd be there for a week and I'd see some people get the Holy Ghost or I would really connect with people because I was, because I'm a pastor at heart, like when I was normally last one out of the building, you know, or a lot of evangelists, they're done preaching, they're done, you know, they're ready to go back yeah. into the, into the office or whatever. I wasn't like that. I, I, I enjoyed being around people. So what was hard for me was what, what's going to happen with these people? Do they have a discipleship program for them? You know, are they going to make it here? You know, and I never got to see people grow. And interestingly enough, I still have people today, to this day, that got saved at some revival that I preached somewhere. And they, uh, to this day, you know, they stay in communication or, you know, they, I, I find out about how they're doing. So I think that showed more than anything that uh, I had a pastor's heart, even though I was evangelizing. Yeah, I've heard that a lot is, is how people will travel and they'll they'll see someone baptized or see someone saved um, uh, or, or get the Holy Ghost and, and they'll want to see how the how the it'll progress and, and right that they, they want to be there as it grows. And I've, I've heard that and it's and I can understand that it's a, a burden sometimes, too, if you like even if that person never communicates with you, like like you just said, right. um, it, it can sometimes leave you wondering what would ever happen if you made a lifelong impact. Well, I'll um, give you a, a good example. Uh, you'll probably know them because they were part of your church. You know Marlo Coker, Marlo and, and Michael. They were in Souls Harbor for years. Mm-hmm. I think she helped with sign language. Yep. Uh, Michael was an usher. Well, we actually, I was preaching a uh, just a few days there in Bellevue in Souls Harbor, and we went to Cracker Barrel after church. Mm-hmm. and Marlo was the waitress that day in Cracker Barrel. And I'm the evangelist. I wasn't the pastor or anything, but she came up to service, and I just struck up conversation with her and told her how great Souls Harbor was. It was the best church. And and uh, she came to church uh, because we had witnessed to her, and uh, the McElroys were there. They're pastors in Pureland, Texas now, but Kevin and his wife, they were mm-hmm. there sitting next to us. And, you know, we witnessed to them. They came to church and thankfully, um, Kevin and his wife really took them under their wings and they became a very strong family there in Souls Harbor. So it was neat. And throughout the years, every time we'd go to Souls Harbor is a, is a wonderful connection with them. Now, I think they just recently moved North, but, but as, as an evangelist, the few times where you can connect with somebody yeah. and watch them grow is a great, great blessing. It is, it is. And and one thing I wanted to swing back to is you were talking about um, David and the sword is is oh, he was using the sword. Is yeah. he he for different situations he you know he had different weapons for the you know he used the same weapon he used the sling for the animals he'd killed and then he used it for Goliath. And as he progressed, he had a change. And so it's important to have, I guess, different tools and different sermons, you know, in your tool bag to pull from, because there's certain ones that, that will work and certain ones that, you know, 
won't have an impact and will have an impact. And I think yeah. the analogy that you used was 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 right on the spot. Yeah, I think that um, you know how do I say this? Uh, sometimes I, I've heard people kind of be critical and say, "Well, you know, don't preach a canned sermon or or you know uh, bring something fresh." And I think I understand where they're coming from. What they really are saying is don't don't just come and 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 fill time. You don't don't just come and sermonize. Uh, don't just come and I'm going to sound very crude with how I'm going to say this, but don't just come and earn a earn a paycheck. You know, yeah, that's not what we want. We need a word from God. At the same time, I believe God gives you some very specific messages that the moment you preach them in your local church, like there's, there's times where I will preach something here in my local church and in the middle of preaching it, uh, I'll know that this is something I need to preach everywhere that I go. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think sometimes, you know, we've become addicted to preaching and it's good, but we've, we, we, we're addicted to good preaching. And so we always want somebody to wow us, give us something new, give us something fresh. You look at a conference like Touch the Future, which you mentioned um, when we were talking. I mean, what a great place to receive a word. Brother Huntley this year pulled out something I had never seen that way before. And I was like, Mm -hmm. wow, that was was neat. Um, But if you look at the Bible, their messages pretty much everywhere they went, they preached the same thing. They were preaching yeah. the gospel and the soon coming of the Lord. Um, we get messages out of the epistles, out of all of the, everything else, you know? So I think that there's times where a lot of times I'm, I'm for example, I'm traveling this week to Minnesota and Oregon to preach and I'm going to use a tested sword, but but I already know the direction I'm going. I've prayed about it. I feel good about it. And um, and when you use something that you know where you're going with, it you know that it's going to impact people because God gave it to you for for everybody. I heard Brother Huntley one time say that he felt like he had a dual calling. Uh, one was to pastor, and mm-hmm. two was to be a voice in in this movement. And he definitely has been that. And I think there are people that God does kind of put that in. You know, they are pastors. And yet when they travel, they are also appointed by God to do that, you know. Um, and it's tough to balance sometimes. But uh, it's 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 really the calling that God has placed upon them. So, yeah, you do you do want to use things. Now I, I have, I'll, I'll give you a good example though, of something really interesting. Okay. Just, uh, last year. Yeah. Last year I had the opportunity. It was a huge honor. They asked me to, to preach 15 minutes at general conference in the global Mm -hmm. mission service. Well, the interesting thing about that was that message I have never preached before. Wow. So probably as far as for me personally, one of the biggest ministerial responsibilities I've ever had, preach at General Conference, uh, probably one of the biggest platforms as far as amount of people there and what it means that ever preached at. And yet in that situation, I felt like I couldn't, in me, I felt like I had to have a word that was only for those 15 minutes. And, uh, it was scary getting into the pulpit, you know, it it would have been a whole lot easier to pull out stuff that I knew was going to wow the crowd, you know, but that would have been a a mistake. And the reason it would have been a mistake is this, and here's, I mean, just, I don't know who this is for that's listening, but I really feel like the reason for general conference that I couldn't preach something that I'd preached before is because I would have been very tempted to just find the best sermon I've ever preached, to buy, find the, the the coolest little insight that I've ever had and, and do that to wow people. Oh, look at, you know, this is great. You've never heard this before type of thing. And the moment you do that, then, then pride's in the way. You know, pride is in the way. It's not about 
ministry. It's not about the people. It's really about you. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was kind of funny. Let me tell you what happened. They they wanted my sermon title. They wanted my notes like months ahead of time. Wow. Uh, because they're preparing, you know, all of the graphics. They're preparing uh, the whole service. Mm-hmm. And I understand them oh, completely. Yeah. There, I mean, this is a big production. General Conference is a big production. And they wanted all of that ahead of time. And if you want to know when my notes were finalized, it was at 1130 the night before wow. I had to get up and speak. Um, and, and, and one of the greatest revelations that I shared in that message came the night before I had to preach. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm thankful for that because it wasn't about me at that point. You know what I'm saying? I've made that mistake before and I've made the mistake before of thinking that I've arrived somewhere and that, you know, they, they've invited me because, you know, I'm going to bring something great. Well, you're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to know right away. God's going to let you know you, you just got in his way. And uh, so with all of that said that I was saying about using a tested sword, um, I've also been on the flip side of that where God's like, "Mm -mm, you're going to go, completely by faith with what I give you for this moment. And, and, uh, and I, well, the funny thing is I've never preached whatever I preached general conference. I haven't preached it after that. And wow. I probably should, cause there was a lot of things I didn't even get to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a pastor, you get that, you get to have, you get to have parts in your, in your series. Yeah. You do series. Instead of flying it, flying out the next week. Yeah. Um, well, I had something I was going to swing back and it, it just left me. Um, I think, oh, here, here it is, is that when you rely on what you've preached before, and you, you already kind of nailed it when you said it, pride sets in, is mm-hmm. you, instead of going back on the path you've been on, you, you, you can pull from something that I've done, even though at the time the, the Lord gave it to you right. and, and reading and studying, but, you know, I spoke it and, and I preached it and I'm going to do it again, but if you walk into, you know, the unknown path into like the you don't know what you're going to walk into and you let God illuminate it, then all the glory has to go to him. Cause you, you right. know, you didn't, you didn't know what you're going to preach beforehand. So that, I mean, that's just a blessing. And I'm thankful that you stepped into that and, and did what the Lord wanted you to. Yeah. Well, I've been on the flip side of that. I, one of the, one of the worst experiences I ever had was, um, brother, pastor Elias Lamonis, very amazing person, pastors, church in California, great, great men of God, especially mm-hmm. in the Hispanic community. Um, in South Central America, he's very revered um, because of his ministry. And he has a conference called uh, Times of Refreshing, but it's in Spanish, Tiempos de Refrigerio. And I remember the first time he called me to come in and speak at it. And, uh, you know, I was young. And honestly, I felt like, well, I've arrived. You know, I mean, I've mm-hmm. been invited to preach probably one of the biggest Spanish conferences that there is. Um, and so my time slot was Thursday at nine o'clock in the morning. That was my time slot. And, you know, just in my ignorance, really, I, I prepared like a Friday night powerhouse message, you know, because, yeah. because it was times of refreshing and I wanted, I wanted to do a good job. You know, I didn't, I, I felt, I felt that weight, that responsibility. I was honored, but I got in my own way also because I prepared something that was, you know, like a night, just power message. Yep. And and I get there, it's nine o'clock in the morning. I I hadn't been to the conference before. And so I get there and nine o'clock in the morning, there's maybe a hundred people in the building and the building holds 1500. Um, so everybody's kind of sleepy arriving, you know, it's the morning sessions. The morning sessions were more, uh, towards like small group ministry. It was more instructional. And here I come thinking I'm going to preach some bombastic sermon. Yeah. And at that point I, I was, I was stuck. Uh, I really was stuck because that's what I had. And, and I, I, 
I got up, I spoke. Now, everybody said, great job, great message. We really needed that, what have you. But I, 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 when I was done, I turned back around and I went and sat down and I grabbed my notes and I just wrote on them with a big old red pen. I said, you failed, you know, and, and what I failed at was not the message. The message was, was a good message, but I failed at recognizing the moment. And so you have to know what your role is, why you're there and, and get out of your own way. And so one, I'm, I'm so glad that that happened to me. It was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me was to me feel like I fell flat on my face and that I missed it. And mm. you don't want to, but I'm glad it happened to me because, you know, any, any time after that, that I've been invited to speak at something that was uh, a, a big event or something like that. I honestly, I've just, I realize I've always been like, okay, God, thank you for the opportunity. I'm going to do the best that I can, but I'm definitely not going to go in there with a, a feeling like I'm going to wow everybody. No, yeah. uh, you, you got to stay, you got to keep your spirit right and be humble. Um, because if not, you'll become one of those flash in the pans. We've all seen that. See, we've all seen these guys that uh, they rise up so high. And then a couple of years down the road, they're not even preaching the truth anymore. Mm-hmm. And so what happened, you know, well, there was something in their heart that wasn't right. And it just, it just simply took some time for it to be exposed. And so I would rather go through what I went through and make sure my heart's right. And, and that's really the message for anybody that that's going to be an evangelist or a pastor. You better pray your heart's right because your heart can be deceitfully wicked. And, yep. um, and it can get in the way of a lot of God's blessings. Um, but thank God the lesson learned and you, and you, if you can learn from it, then you can be better. You know, God knows how to humble you. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, I think there's a, two-way factor there you said you you learned from it and and all and you took from that experience but it's also important not to say oh i failed i won't do that again but to take it with an open mind and an open heart and say i know i won't do that again and i know you know how to fix it and how to correct it instead of just instead of chalking it up to to a to a loss or a fail well it it fell flat on its face you you turned around and you saw that it was how to fix it and you learned from the mistakes and learn from the failures, which is really what the whole what the whole podcast this podcast is about is right. young guys learning from mistakes and learning from experiences. One of the there's a book in the Bible that took me forever to really understand. I mean, I know the story, but to understand what the purpose of the book was, and it's a it's a very it's the shortest book I think one of the shortest I think uh, one of the one of the first second or third John might be shorter, but the book of Philemon is a really interesting book because it's about Onesimus. He's a slave and Onesimus really at the beginning of the letter of the book of Philemon, Onesimus is kind of good for nothing. He's, he's got a slave attitude. He's got a slave mentality. Um, he's, you know, it, it, his mind's not where it needs to be. His heart's not where it needs to be. He gets sent away. And then when Paul writes this letter, he's sending Onesimus back to Philemon and what he has to say about him, he says, perhaps it was necessary. It's how he says, it. he says, perhaps it was necessary for him to depart for some time so that when he comes back to you, uh, you, he can come back as a brother and not as a slave. And, and Paul himself said, he said, in fact, he's so valuable now. He, he learned his lesson in such a way. Now, Paul says, I would love to keep him with me. Now for Paul, for the apostle Paul to say, I'd love for this guy to be my companion in the mission field and everything. That's quite a big deal because Paul didn't have a lot of patience with people. Um, And so for Paul to say, I'd love to have him with me, but I'm going to send him back to you so you can receive him as a brother. um, It's tremendous. It's a short little book. But what the book is really about is about a man learning his lesson and changing his entire way of being, changing his attitude, changing his outlook. And that's, I think John Maxwell wrote a book called Failing Forward. Uh, when you fail, you got to fail forward. You, you get up, you learn from your mistakes. And that's where, that's where true 
humility uh, comes in. Um, Brother Eli Hernandez, probably one of the greatest voices in my life before he passed. Um, he said, humility, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. See, we, we think humility is thinking less of ourselves. Yeah. Um, we take Philippians, um, you know, to not think more highly of ourselves than we ought and all that. But what Brother Hernandez said, he said, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. He said, it's basically not thinking of yourself. And, and I think that's where if you fail, you know, okay, you know, don't, don't make this all about you. Learn your lesson and get up and, and, and don't do it again. You know, <laughs> yep. learn the lesson and, and, and be better the next time around. Yeah, you're better for next time. You're falling forward. You're still moving in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, you, you'll just be stronger when you get back up. Um, that's an incredible, incredible word, incredible advice. And we've already covered a ton of great stuff. Um, so moving, you know, away from evangelizing, sure. um, or le- not from evangelizing, but after that point in your life, now you're pastoring. And so I wanted to dive into, like we've been hinting to all, you know, the last thirty minutes or so, is, um you know, the Hispanic community and how you, how you're doing what you're doing now. Um, so we've already found out you're not a native Spanish speaker. Um, you, uh, you, you almost are. You grew up, you said 18 years. Uh, it's in- incredible. I didn't know that. I thought it was, I had no idea that, that you, that part about you, yeah. but so you didn't grow up as a native speaker, but you've grown a passion for the community. Of, I'd assume from just being around them, almost your whole life or the majority part of your life. Right. Um, so is there anything more to how you gain that passion or is it just because you've, you've learned the language, you've been around the people? Uh, is that just how you develop the passion to reach out to the community? Well, you know, in, in my case, it's probably just something that was so natural because I was a baby when my parents went down to Argentina and so I actually spoke Spanish before I spoke English. Wow. Um, we, we spoke English in the home, but, you know, I was always, my mom was very good about taking us to uh, the homes of, of the the saints there in Argentina. Sometimes she'd leave us for a week or two, you know, yeah. and they loved taking care of us. And we loved being there because uh, kind of the funny thing uh, to me is I'm going to share something with you. The funny thing to me, I never thought of myself as a missionary kid. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just, it was just my country, Argentina, which is where I grew up. That was my country. That was my people. It didn't matter whether I was born there or not, which I wasn't born there. It didn't matter. None of that even came into mind, you know, Um, like, the reason I say this, and I might get myself in trouble with what I'm going to say, but there's a lot of missionaries that I have observed that their attitude is that, well, they're the missionary, you know, yeah. uh, they're in a foreign field, they're in a foreign land. Um, and my family, to be honest with you, we never felt that way. We never took that approach. I mean, um, obviously we were sent, you know, from here, from the States. So we tended to, because of the differences, for example, just for a very practical thing, um, the dollar in certain countries, you get a better exchange and you can live a little bit better because Mm -hmm. if you're getting paid in dollars, you know, and your dollar is worth 30 of theirs, you know, you're, you're getting paid 30 times more. So we were privileged enough to live in, in, in the northern part of Buenos Aires, the capital city, where it was nicer suburbs. And we went to an American community school there, which was a great education. It was a miracle from God that we could go there. They gave us a great scholarship. Wow. But what I was going to say is I never for one moment thought of myself as an American in Argentina. Yeah. Um, I slept on dirt floors when we traveled. We, I've slept on so many wooden benches in a church that you wouldn't even imagine. 
um, during the summers or winters, whenever we didn't have school, I would travel uh, sometimes with one of my sisters or what have you, three hours north to uh, brother and sister Deasis. They pastored a church up there. They were the vice presidents of the work. And I'd stay in their home for a month and a half, you know, uh, in cold, cold winters. I mean, get out and touch the tile floor with your foot. They didn't have heating and air conditioning. Uh, they didn't have hot water. It was just a little tank that you, you know, plugged in. They called them the widow makers because here you are plugging a metal tank with water in it into the electricity. And um, that's how I grew up. So I guess in a way I never, I never felt like the Spanish culture was any different than what my culture is. My culture really is in many, many ways, a Spanish culture. Um, So as far as my burden for it, when between my third and, and fourth year of Bible school, I went down to Argentina for several months. And honestly, I was testing the waters to see if God wanted me to go back as a missionary. When uh, I was in the last week of being down there, I was praying and God spoke to me very directly. And he said, I, I don't want you here. You'll always be connected here, but I don't want you here. And it really kind of broke my heart because I thought, well, Lord, what, I mean, why would you give me this experience of growing up here? Why would this be my life if it's not somehow going to play a part in what I do for you? Um, but now I understand it more than ever yeah. because I'm bicultural. I am Argentine. I'm Hispanic in my upbringing. I love like some Americans, they just love Spanish food and all that kind of yeah. stuff, you know? But no, it's my whole culture. It's my thinking. It's my way of being. But I'm also Anglo, you know, in my in my thinking. And so, in a sense, I realize now my upbringing is tailor-made for me to be here in the Fort Lauderdale area pastoring a Spanish church because I'm pastoring a Spanish church in an American culture. And so I can relate to both worlds. You can walk into our church on a Sunday And if you didn't know you were in the United States, you would think you were overseas because of the spirit and the atmosphere and the culture and everything. And yet we run things in a manner that's organized. And so there's a big side of it that's American. So my my heart, uh, when we started this church, I started uh, an English service at nine o'clock and a Spanish service at 11. And the reason I did that was I didn't know which direction God was going to take it. I was willing to do both. Um, and we did that for a couple of years and then we went full Spanish. Um, and now the funny thing now is we're kind of coming full circle to where we need to do something in English because yeah. we're getting more uh, mixed marriages and, and younger people and people that don't speak Spanish. So, but my burden has always been for the Spanish people. It's a huge demographic in the United States of America. Um, it's the fastest growing demographic in the USA. It's also the fastest growing revival sector in wow. the United States. Right now, the Spanish community is having a greater revival than any other community in our country. So um, I've just always had a, a passion and a burden for the Hispanic community. That's that's interesting how everything lined up for you and what yeah. you thought was going to be one thing ended up being the right thing for the for pastoring here yeah. um in Florida. So one phrase you said was a Spanish church in American in an American culture. Yeah. So what is the Spanish culture in your church like because um you know you can go to you know the French have a culture uh, people in Poland have a culture, and but uh, the Hispanic community is from all across, especially in 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 Florida, where it's a melting pot of a bunch yeah. of different Hispanic speakers from different countries. So, is that created one large a uh, culture and way of doing things, or do you just have to l- live with a melting pot, quilted, you know, kind of thing where people might be from Cuba and Puerto Rico and then Argentina. So how has that uh, changed how you have to pastor and, and, and speak with these people? Well, I think that the apostle Paul said it best. He said, 
He'd become all things to all men that by mm. any mean he might save some. Um, I absolutely love the melting pot of the Spanish culture uh, here in the United States. See, growing up in Argentina, it was just Argentines. That's who I interacted with. Um, or those that were from kind of the southern cone of South America, Chile, Uruguay, Paraguay. Um, they're all very similar. Um, you get north more. Brazil, funniest thing about South America is the biggest country in South America doesn't speak Spanish. They speak Portuguese. Wow. Um, but then you have Colombia, Venezuela, Peru, Ecuador. Those are kind of more Bolivia, more in the northern sector. Um, here in the U.S., I absolutely love it. Because, for example, in our church, I have every single country in South America represented in my church other than wow. the Guyanas. Um, and I have every single country in uh, Central America and most of the Caribbean um, represented in our church. And it is different. Um, one of the things that the Anglo community tends to do is throw all the Hispanics in the same bucket. Yeah. That is, that would be like putting, that would be like putting uh, the Americans, the English, the Australians, and the Canadians all in the same bucket just because they speak English. Yep. And they couldn't be any more different one from the other. So um, I have, for example, in our church, I have absolutely fallen in love with the Guatemalan community. I didn't really know the Guatemalan community uh, when I was growing up in Argentina, but I've never met any more hardworking, humble people than the Guatemalan community. And it's a wonderful melting pot because everybody has to learn to work together. Um, South Americans tend to be a little bit uh, prideful when they consider themselves next to Central Americans. Okay. And yet, to be honest with you, the Central Americans have tremendous success here in the United States because of their work ethic and because of some of the challenges that they have faced. Um, most of the time, South Americans have had more uh, educational opportunities than the Central American community has. So they become educated, and yet the Central American community has had to work so hard that they have a work ethic that wow. that takes them pretty far in this country. So, and yet they all become great leaders. So, for example, we we do small groups in our church, and and uh, I have the small groups divided. We have seventy five small groups. We have them divided into twenty different zones. And my zone leaders, I mean, I've got Argentines, I've got Guatemalans, El Salvadorians, Brazilians, that are all leaders, all working together. So I, I personally think that, and that's probably where me, if I was strictly Argentine uh, in my birth and nationality and culture, that might actually hinder me yep. from being able to effectively minister to a certain part of the Hispanic community. If I was only Anglo, if I was just American, you know, just Anglo and and that would definitely be a hindrance, you know. But the neat part about doing what I do here is I am I am a little bit of everything, you know. I mean, I'm I'm Hispanic when I need to be Hispanic. I'm American when I'm Anglo yeah. when I need to be Anglo. So but I love it. The Hispanic community here in the States is a beautiful, beautiful community and some of the hardest working people I've ever met in my life. That's incredible. Yeah, that's another thing I didn't know is is how many um, countries were represented in your church and in the difference differences. Oh yeah, and everywhere. Yeah, and, and and like I said, everybody tries to put them in the same in, in the same box, and, and yeah. it's not. It's not you at all. They're, yeah, they're all very different. Yeah, mm -hmm. and you know, I've learned a lot. Um, you know, there's uh, there's strengths to each community and weaknesses too. Um, but I've, I've had to learn a lot as far as knowing how to connect. For example, Argentines are very open, very extroverted. They're loud, they're wow. boisterous, they're, 
they're almost uh, like Italians in a way, you know? Okay. Um, and, and the thing is Central American community is a lot more uh, shy and, and a little bit more introverted. So you come on that way, come on strong, you know, you, you, they're just, they don't know what to do with you, you know? Yeah. Um, but yet when you really get to know them, I, I mean, it's beautiful. I, uh, I've really enjoyed, I enjoy pastoring our church. I really enjoy it. It's a great group of people and it's wonderful to watch here in the States, something happen that does not happen overseas. And that is all of them working together yep. uh, for the kingdom of God. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the passion that you have is evident and that kind of passion is, is needed in every church and every community and every ministry that you're doing. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that that community and, and that, you know, sector of Florida and everything has, you know, the passion that, that you're projecting. And I'm thankful that God has put you where, where he puts you. Yeah. Um, one thing is uh, we've, we've, you know, we've discussed, um, you know, the Spanish community, the people uh, and where they're from and all these incredible things. I mean, you're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> Um, and I wanted to see from there after discussing with people in the communities, how would someone, uh, if, if I, for example, uh, or anyone were to show up at your church and volunteer and intern or whatever, like just using that as an example, yeah. uh, how do you, or even if you're a pastor, right, you're, you move down here from, from anywhere and you move down to Florida or anywhere with the Spanish community, um, how how do you approach that? What's some advice that you would give to help help out with maybe a pre- predominantly Hispanic community? Well, I have a, a point of view, um, and I will actually say this a lot of times when I'm preaching or teaching. I'll say, you know, God is not American. Yeah, <laughs> God is not American. He he does not speak English. Um, and what am I saying by that? I, I'm I don't mean this in a wrong way because I'm American born. I mean, I was born in Portland, Oregon. And, uh, you know, I love, I love this country. In fact, I have a political radio show for goodness sakes, trying to fight for this country, you know? Um, But I would say it's like anything that you approach. If it was, I'm, I'm pretty sure if it was Asian culture, if it was African culture, the main thing that we've got to not do here in the States is try to Americanize people. Uh, And so one of the things that happens is we want to convert them to our culture. Okay. You've got to be like we are, or if not, we won't accept you, you know? Um, And so you're not going to get very far that way. Um, Not only that, you're not going to, you're not going to really reach them. Yeah. You have to fall. You're putting the work on them to reach out to you when you should be. Yeah. You have to fall in love with their culture. Yeah. Fall in love with their culture, eat their food, uh, get to know them, be, and genuinely, you know, not, not just like it's some kind of job genuinely do that. Um, for example, Uh, I have had so many people when they come here to our church and it's like, I just, I said earlier when they come here, they're like, man, this is like being overseas. Well, why, why is it like that? It's because we've allowed them to be them. You know, we, we've allowed them to be them, which I am them myself, you know? So for example, um, every single service Thursday, uh, Wednesday, when we do leadership and discipleship Sunday, we always have people out there that are cooking food and selling food. And it's not so much because we need the funds. It's more so because it's just part of what we do, you know? Um, So fall in love with the culture. If you look at what the apostle Paul actually said, he said he became to the, the, they that had no law as one without no law to they that had the law. He became, so he, adapted to them in order that by any means he could win some. So I would say 
um, the main thing that somebody would need to do is is fall in love with with the culture of the people. Learn it, learn it and love it. Live it. That's it. Learn it, love it, and live it. Yeah. And and then you number one when you're reaching them, you're not even going to feel like it's you're reaching them. It's just going to be like reaching anybody because you will now be part of their culture. You know, um, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I grew up in Argentina. We don't eat hot stuff down there, man. Some of the best food in the world uh, down there, best beef and, 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 and even Italian food that they cook down there. Great. But as far as like spicy stuff, jalapenos, hot peppers, all that, never. Well, wow. Central America, they eat that stuff all the time. And I have learned to actually love that stuff. I didn't, I didn't like it before, mm-hmm. but I've learned to love it. And, and, you know, it's kind of funny when, when, when you eat, when you ask somebody, Hey, do you have any of that hot sauce? Well, man, it's like, Oh, that's my hot sauce that I make. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I'm, you like my, hot, yeah, I love the hot sauce, you know? And I, I think people know, you know what? I think people know, when we are genuine yep. or when we're faking it. Yeah. People know that. And if you're a fake, they can smell you a mile away. So you have to be genuine. Um, the, the Spanish community is extremely open and loving, familial. It's a very warm community. So, for example, you know, Americans, to be honest with you, we're, we're pretty cold sometimes. We're very private. Yeah. We, we, we don't we don't really want to kind of go out of our way. We don't, we don't really want a bunch of people in our house cause they might mess it up. I mean, it's just kind of how we are. Spanish community is completely different. It's very, very open, which lends itself to great revival. Yeah, so I nice. would say if somebody was wanting to know how to reach the Spanish community, learn their culture, love their culture, live their culture. And if you learn to do those things, then it's just going to be natural. Um, they're very, very open to God. You know, most most of South and Central America has grown up with some kind of Catholicism. Yeah. Um, so they've grown up with some kind of fear of God, some kind of religion in their lives. So uh, it's it's an open culture, but um, but don't try and Americanize them. Oh, don't yeah, don't sure. now. Like for example, I'll give you a good example though. Like bicultural here. We start church on time. Mm-hmm. You know, most Hispanics don't start church on time. They'll say, I will start 15 minutes late, 20 minutes. We start church on time. Um, that's one of the things that they adapt to. You know, yeah. we're not Americanizing them, but hey, we're going to start on time because that's just the right thing to do no matter what. <clears throat> and so, so you know, we, we start on time no matter who's there. And over some time, they they've learned, you know, hey, it's going to be an on time thing, you know. Yeah. So, and that that is me. Also, I teach them, hey, you know, you have your culture, but we are in the United States now, so there's just some things that you have to know that it's how society works here, you know. So, but uh, the Hispanic community is a very easy, very easy community to love uh, if you if you get to know them. They're some of the most genuine people uh, that you'll ever meet. So learn, live, learn, love, and live is what I would say about yeah. their their community. Yeah, I think. I mean, the, you you hit it right on the right right on the head. I mean, that's perfect. Um, I'd I'd imagine um, you can stop me if I'm wrong, but I mean, all these things apply. Um, even if, like in my church, we have the 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 minority uh, is is Hispanic. Um, but right. we, we we've been blessed to I mean we've grown a lot since we've uh, you know in the in that area. But Sunday mornings is we have a general I guess session general church right, and right. then we after that we split into deaf service and then uh, Spanish service, which is an incredible <laughs> blessing to even be able right. to have that much diversity there with deaf and uh, Hispanic. Um, so even if maybe it is like that. Do you think this, the principles still apply 
obviously. You still of have course. to love the people. That's the same. Would anything else change? For example, I'm not always in Spanish service. If I have to fill in as a musician, I may. If I have to, right. to fill in technical, I, I may. But um, is there anything else that I would have to do to modify or change or adapt or do better of, on top of what you've already said if I'm not in a predominantly Hispanic church? Um. Yeah, again, I go back to, I really kind of come back to being genuine. Yeah. Um, I think that's, there's anything we really need in life is to be genuine. Um, I would say learn what you can, you know, if you're not in a, in a, in a church, that's predominantly Hispanic, right. But you want to make an impact. You want to make a difference. You want to be there. Um, learn what you can um maybe you can learn a little spanish yeah. try it out the next time you're there uh learn the songs you know um try to make an effort people uh the spanish community is very forgiving um for example you could hardly ever i don't know if you could get english speaking people to go to a church where they'd have to listen through headphones all the time Mm-hmm. You, you, you're not going to get them to do that. You're just, well, yeah. I'm not going to go there if I got to listen to through headphones yeah. all the time. I, yeah. But Spanish people will do it. Spanish people will go to a church, uh, you know, year after year and, and listen through headphones and, and kind of bear that in order to be able to get a word. Um, so they're, they're very forgiving. So I would learn what I could uh, so that when I'm, I'm there, I'm able to engage, you know, there's so many things now that you can do to learn that it just takes a little bit of effort, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I just go back to being genuine. Uh, people know whether you really are expressing true love or you're faking it yep. and, and learn to be real, learn to be real with people and, and, and you'll go far with yeah. them. So in the Spanish community, because they're so open uh, and so loving, if you're real, you're always going to be able to uh, to have a degree of success yeah. as far as what you, you want to do there and how you want to help, you know? Mm-hmm. Just interacting and even, like you said, loving the culture is a big thing. But even if you're like literally you listen to this and you go Sunday to if you have a split session at your church with with uh, Hispanic people and, and a service that is in Spanish, just, you know, obviously we've covered, it's a lifelong thing is to learn to love yeah. the community and, and learn the food and the customs and all that stuff. But just like reaching out at a handshake and, and a smiling face, just like you said, genuine, even though you can't speak Spanish and you can't right. eat their food yet and you can't, you know, get into the culture yet. I mean, that's still genuine. Like you don't have to be everything that we've discussed to make an impact still. Just be real. So, yeah. Just, yeah. Just be real. Um, I think that if you approach everything, it's like I was mentioning earlier about certain missionaries. Why do some missionaries have success on their field? And why do other missionaries struggle? A lot of it, if you went down to it, a lot of it is their approach. What's your approach? Are you one of them? Or, you know, do you, or, or are you separate from them? You know, are you one of them? Or are you trying to get them to see things your way? And, and if you just become one of them, I think that, that you can, then it's just second nature uh, to be able to minister well. So like, for example, me, I'm, I'm American born, um, white, uh, you know, all of that, but my culture, who I am is, is full just of, of, of my upbringing and, and the Spanish roots. So I have that advantage, but if somebody didn't, yeah, that's what you have to, you have to learn that and approach it that way. Don't, don't approach it as, as, uh, you know, as a, a job or some game, it, it's, it's really becoming them, you know, it's what I would say. Yeah. Well, I think you covered, you know, you, you blown me away. You've covered everything I have to ask uh, things that I'll implement right off the bat anyways. Amen. Um, 
before we move on to the last thing, every the, the what's become the tradition around on the, on the podcast is to cover is to end lightheartedly and have a funny yes. church story. But uh, what I call funny church stories, uh, okay. I've heard stories of people running the aisles, and you know we've had it. People talking about running the aisles and falling and, and tearing up pants and shoes and different things. Yeah. Um, but before we get to that, um, which I'm sure you have some great stuff, um, before we get to that, I just wanted to ask if there's anything else you wanted to say because you've answered my questions, you've answered everything that I've had, you know, boiling in my I, mind thinking about. I, I would just uh, the last thing I would say before we kind of wrap it up is. Um, just be aware, be aware that, that the Spanish community is growing very quickly in the United States of America. I get such a burden when I go through towns and I see, you know, Trinitarian Spanish churches all over the place mm. and I don't see a Jesus name church anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it really burdens me. Um, and, but what burdens me more is kind of the lack of, of effort and interest um, to do anything about it. You know, we came down here, we've planted six churches since we came down here. I, my dream is to plant, plant 30 before I, before I die. I want to be involved in at least planting 30 churches. So just realize that it is a part of our community we need to reach. We need to make an effort. Um, and if, it doesn't matter if you don't speak Spanish, learn, yep. you can do it. You can reach them <laughs> with anything. I mean, you got to learn yeah. anyways to, to reach out and, and it's definitely worthwhile. I mean, there's, there's still souls and we're, yes. we're all souls anyways. So definitely, def definitely worth, worth reaching out. Um, so for what, I guess what some people, I guess, think is, is their favorite. Sometimes it's my favorite. Um, I mean, you've, you've already blown me, like I said, blown me away with some, with some stuff, all this great info and great, you know, all these great things is um in all your travels and all the different places you've gone do you have one uh one story that you could tell us that, that will make someone laugh at home listen to the listen to the podcast oh my goodness um picking one is is tough um but just here locally um one of the funny things that happened to me was we do baptisms at the at the beach mm -hmm. and um and so, um, I, you know, I typically wait until we're out in the water and then, then I'll ask somebody, you know, their, their full name right before I baptize them. Yeah. And so I'm out here in the water, the, the, the water's coming up and rolling. And I asked this lady, I said, I said, her name was Tina. I said, Tina, um, you know, what's your full name? And Tina looks at me. She said, Tina, Pastor. And I said, well, I, I, I know your name is Tina. <laughs> I mean, Tina, what's what's your full name? She said, Tina, Pastor. And I'm just like, is this, is this lady just not getting me? Is she not hearing me or what? I said, I know your name's Tina. You're wearing the ocean. Everybody's waiting. I said, but what's your full name? Then she looks at me and she's like, Tina Pastor. And I'm like, oh, your last name is Pastor? <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, it took me about three or four times to figure it out, but I finally Crazy. baptized her. Her last name was Pastor. So she wow. probably, here I thought she was the one that was you oh, know, yeah, not yeah. getting it. And she's probably thinking, my pastor is an idiot. He can't figure <laughs> out my name. So, wow. but that, that was a funny moment. We've had quite a few, a lot of fun that's, stuff. That happened. That's great. I love like when stuff like that happens and things don't translate, it's always, it's always, fun. yeah, it was um, good. One thing I want to tell you is uh, the listeners, if you've already listened to the show before, um, you've already heard this, but, uh, I was speaking with, uh, I just wanted to tell you, tell you this face to face or, or I guess computer camera to computer camera, yeah, yeah. uh, is, uh, last year I had a brother, uh, Nathaniel Urshan on the show and we spoke and he said he's from up North and he said he was, uh, pastoring at the time down South in Florida. So he didn't know how tides worked or anything and nothing like that. So he takes him out to the water and, um, or he takes the, the gentleman he's about to baptize out to the water and they're walking and walking and they're waiting, um, uh, you know, waiting out in the way out in the water. But he didn't know how the tides worked, and it's only it's low tide, 
So they've been walking like a half mile, a mile out, and it's only at their knees. So he says, hey, man, we're finally going to have to just baptize you right here. Um, so let's just go ahead and, and try it here. I know it's only knee-deep water. So he gets in the yeah. water, and he gets his name, and he goes to baptize him, but his nose doesn't go into the water. He comes up, and he, he's praising or whatever, splashed around. He says, hey, man, I got to let you know is your nose doesn't go into water. We want to do this again. It's got to be complete submersion. He yeah. goes, really? He says, well, unless you want your nose to go to hell and the rest of you go to heaven, we'll have to do it again. <laughs> so what he had to do yeah. is he turned his head on the side and then and then baptized them again. So <laughs> I, when you said the beach, I had to bring that up. To I, you. I, I had that happen. I was, I was baptizing three kids. It was actually that I was baptizing my oldest son, Andrew. And so they're children, so I can't go mm-hmm. as deep, yeah. you know, because I'm, I'm taller, they're shorter. So there's this one kid, I tried to time the baptisms, perfect, you know, with the waves. I look back and, you know, and I go baptize this one kid. I had three of them to baptize and I went, I went to baptize him. And right when I went to let him down, the, the wave just went, you know how it just sucks everything out yeah, the, yeah. and the wave just went and I right onto the sand and, <laughs> and I mean, barely got him underwater the guys are like trying to slash water on him. <laughs> it was hilarious. Now I didn't rebaptize him and the kid didn't turn out too good. So I don't know, maybe that was my problem. <laughs> but anyway, That's it was crazy. fun. Man, yeah. I, I love stuff like that. Anyway, you said that you said the beach or the, or the the ocean. So I had to bring that up to you. I thought it's great. You kick out of that. Anyways, as far as that goes, I think I've, you know, got what I need to get out of this. Thank um, you. I think I'm going to wrap everything up. It's as always, Sounds it's a good. pleasure to have you on. I'm glad that it worked out as it did. Yes. Um, and I learned a bunch and I hope to see you soon whenever I get to see you. And it's, yes, sir. It, it was an incredible opportunity to be able to talk with you and learn from you today. God bless you, brother Harrison. Thank you for having me on your podcast. And we look forward to seeing you pretty soon up there in Souls Harbor or some district event. Well, God bless. And I hope to see you soon. All right. Bye.